life in, life in the community. We've talked about how to love God and how to rightly view ourselves and how to love and serve one another. Uh, there's just one topic that's so important for life in this new community that we can't pass it up. We're just too close. And that's the topic of speech. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about speech. And pretty much like everything in Scripture, uh, it's both good and hard. And I'll just sort of give you a little gist of it from, uh, from the book of James. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, and no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. And uh, unfortunately, it's so. James, it's so. The question is, is there anything we can do about it? Uh, What harm is it really? And what can we do about it? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're not going to be talking from James, though. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Feel free to follow along as I read. So starting in verse 14. Uh, that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. Now, skipping over to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right, pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray you would show us yourself in it. You're going to show us some hard things about ourselves tonight. Uh, Give us the courage to accept the truth of it. And grant us hope through the gospel. And grant us new speech, we would pray. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was thinking about my first breakup. I don't typically do this. I got over it a long time ago. It's been 22 years. So I don't really know why I was thinking about it. It may have been like my 22nd year anniversary of the breakup or some persisting sense of shame. I don't really know what. But uh, I really have moved beyond it. I'm healed. Um, but it was a doozy. And, uh, and the tumultuous period ended, culminated with, with this really clear uh, Really clear, definitive, yeah, it's over. Uh, I, I got a long letter. I don't remember anything on the letter except it was about a page and, and a couple of words. Somewhere on that letter were the words, you can go to hell. So, uh, guys, here's a clue for you. If you're dating someone and they tell you you can go to hell, the relationship is over. Okay. <laughs> Not only do they want you dead... They want you to suffer for eternity. <laughs> um, there's not much hope there. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I think back at that, and I really can't laugh about it, uh, being wished to go to hell. Uh, and I don't really remember anything else about that letter, actually. And 
or much about all the other words that we shared during the previous three or four months. So we had been really good friends. Uh, we had a bunch of classes together. We worked together. We played together. We were on the same teams together. And uh, during that time, we had nourished our relationship. It, it had grown into this thing by the stories we told and the, the things we said to one another. This is how these things happen. You, you talk and you listen. You get to know one another. You like each other. But by those same means, words out of our mouths, uh, I had said things didn't quite justify her response, but it made them understandable. This did not come out of the blue. Maybe I didn't deserve to go to hell. I mean, I do, but not for that. But uh, what she said was not completely indefensible. And uh, you know, this was a hard way to learn the lesson of the power of words. That they have the power to, to bring people together like they had. We'd really gotten to know each other and like each other by sharing stories and talking. But also because of some poor words on my part and, and the actions and the motives behind them and, and certainly the power of her words, death of the relationship. It was over. Um, and I, I, I can chalk that up to teenage immaturity, which I have. But at the same time, it's true that every day I say things I should not. Every day. Some of you are there. Let me say it to you. If you haven't seen it, you can come to my house and, and see that I say things I should not. And there are also uh, regular occurrences where I don't say things that I should say. There are things I should say to people that I fail to. And Paul is going to make it clear in this text right here that we as individuals and as a community, we have the power through our speech to build up, to heal, to encourage or to harm. And we're frankly doing it all the time. We really are, by the way we listen and by the way we speak. So how do we become the kind of people and the kind of group that blesses and encourages and builds people up by our words rather than break them down and, uh, and hurt them? So what we need, what we really need is new speech. Not a new language, but new speech. And uh, we're going to talk about that tonight, of course, into three topics. Uh, what it means to have body health, just stick with me here, uh, bodily harm, and healing hearts. So body health, what does it look like to be a healthy community, according to Paul? How do we harm ourselves as the body? This is Paul's language, we'll get there in a moment, by our speech. And then how do we address this speech problem that we have? We need healed hearts and tongues. So first, uh, body health. And this is Paul's overriding concern, not just in chapter 4, but the whole book, is that the community, the church, will be healthy, built up, and united. And the language of body is not mine. It's his. We, we see it in verse 15. And the norm for Paul, the assumption is that those who trust in Jesus are a body. They belong together, and they will be growing together. You see it in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. I'm just going to stop there. We are to grow up. We, together, are to grow up. And verse 16, again, with the same kind of imagery. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow. So, getting the assumptions on the table. If you're a Christian, you're part of a body, a community, the church. And you are, in God's eyes, in reality, 
an interconnected reality, a body. And we are to be growing together, not just closer to one another, but together we grow. In other words, your growth is not an individual self-help program. Your growth as an individual comes in the context of real community. We are to grow together into Christ. And that's what he says in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him, into Christ. This means a couple different things. It means, for one, that our growth cannot necessarily be selective. I can't look at a long list of all the things about myself I like and don't like and say, there are these things about myself I don't like, but I want to keep them because I like them. Pet sins, bad habits. And these other things about myself that I don't like, that I would love to change, but maybe Christ doesn't want to change them. I don't get to pick and choose. I'm called to be conformed to His beauty and His image. We're to grow up into Him. Together, into the beauty and uh, maturity and righteousness and peace and love that is Jesus. And we do that together in every way. So uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Growing up like Him, into Him. Becoming more like Him. And the way we do that is through gospel nourishment. Now, uh, if you've spent much time in the church, uh, you've had people stand up and do this to you. It really is a strange cultural phenomenon. We've been doing it for a couple thousand years now. But you subject yourself to letting a guy talk at you for a while. Now, you do it regularly, but you pay other people to do it to you, professors. Uh, I'm doing this for free, sort of. You don't pay me. Um, Thank you for letting me do this to you. Why? Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you sitting here? It's because, and maybe this doesn't explain to you, this is the way you're supposed to grow. Through gospel nourishment. That God has given the Word, Scripture, and the Gospel to be communicated. And as you hear it, you take it into your heart, and it nourishes your faith. There are other things that do this as well. Prayer, your individual reading of the Scripture, uh, the sacraments. These are means of grace that nourish you in the faith. That's how you grow. Uh, Paul's going to add something to the list, sort of. He just assumes it. That gospel nourishment is something you receive, not just by all these normal means of grace, like going to church and hearing the gospel and hearing some old dude preach at you, um, but you're sharing the content with one another. You communicating and speaking the truth to one another. That's what he says in verse 15. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Who's speaking the truth? It doesn't say he's speaking the truth. It doesn't say some old dude who's ordained, wearing a priestly robe, speaking the truth. We, together, are to grow up as we speak the truth to one another. And, and say this, he says basically the same thing again in verse 29. First, negatively, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, the words that come out of your mouth should not bend the truth. We'll talk about that in a moment. But should give grace. In other words, you are all responsible for speaking the truth in love. The way you, as a group of people, are to grow up into the beauty of Jesus is not just by hearing some old dude preach the gospel and by prayer and by receiving the sacraments. Those are all important, very important. But what's normal is for you to also share with one another, to speak the truth in love. Paul assumes that's the way life should be in our community. And uh, frankly, Every year there's at least one person, uh, no one usually has the gall to say this, but they just sort of communicate it by their temperament or their attitude. And the attitude is, I come to a large group, 
And I hear you teach, and I write the notes, and I got it. So why do I really need to do small group one-on-one? What's the importance of this? Well, they'll come to small group, and they'll hear the first answer, and they'll give like the right answer right away, and then just be bored for 45 minutes and be like, what's the nonsense of just talking about it over and over? I got the right answer. And, and the idea is that I got the content, I passed the test, I don't need anything else. I got the info, let me go now. Well, you're free to go, because you're missing the point. The point is that we, together, need to be speaking the truth to one another. Examining the text together, sharing it, encouraging one another, praying one another. In other words, it's not just some guy downloading information into your head. God actually uses your words with one another to encourage one another and build one another up. Of course, that is not always our experience. It's often our experience that we've been to church and we've been bored to death or we've been hurt or we've been neglected. And uh, the reality is that instead of bodily health, there's often bodily harm that's being done. There's being harm done to the community or to yourself as a member of the community by what's said or what's not said. And there's a lot of different ways that we could go about doing this. Uh, a lot of ways we do go about doing this. I'm just going to talk about a few that are in our text. Uh, the first one Paul lists is in verse 14. It's that we often, not often, but sometimes we listen to lies. Verse 14, he talks about uh, scheming words. Uh, lying deceptions. He's talking here about those that will come in and, and pervert the gospel. Change the truth. Water things down. I see you guys looking for it, so I'll read it. That we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, there may be some people that would come in and say, you think that's the truth? That's ridiculous. Let me tell you what it really is. And their, and their intent is evil. And they pervert the gospel. And listening to those kind of lies does you no good. Now, of course, you, you can't quite get away from it. You can go hide under a rock. I don't suggest that. But you don't take it in, and you don't share it. And so th- this is destructive to the community. It, it, it basically makes us immature, like children. And it, and it makes life volatile. We're tossed to and fro. That doesn't sound good. So listening to lies is one way. The second one, and this sort of... Uh, giving this to you in colloquial language, uh, is in verse 31. It's not a listening thing, it's a a speaking thing, and I'm calling it letting it rip. So in verse 31, uh, it describes the reality of what's often in our hearts. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And letting it rip is actually about the easiest thing in the world to do, right? When these things are in your heart, Man, they are powerful, intoxicating, and in some ways, don't get me wrong, beautiful. Like war is beautiful. Like, like the raw power and destruction and just comes so easily. And it's actually, it's, it's really bad because actually the smarter you are, the worse it is. You might be a wordsmith. You can just perfectly refine those words for maximum damage at people. I'm dead serious. I really am. And it's so easy. And a little enjoyable. And terrible. And dangerous and destructive. And, and Paul's saying, you can't let it rip. <laughs> you just can't let it rip. But it's so easy for us to do because not only does it hurt people, we're not just talking about people's feelings, it destroys a community because when we do this, you break down trust. Trust. If I just let it rip, and you don't stop me and say, hey, we don't talk about people like that. You've broken all trust. There's no reason why I should trust you or anyone else in this group. 
with, with the reality of what's going on in my life. So we can't let it rip. The, um, another thing we often do is... Uh, where, I can't find it. But it's here. We, we speak in ways that bend the truth. And uh, Paul talks about this in verse 29. And when we first read it, we think it says something he's not saying. Uh, in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And you read that and you say, Oh, no, no wordy dirts. Not supposed to say bad things. Um, and uh, that, that may or may not be part of what Paul implies. But what he actually has to say is a lot broader than that. Uh, actually, a lot more demanding. Uh, I think we sort of lost touch with what the word corrupt means. The word corrupt doesn't mean like a dirty word. The word corrupt means bent, dishonest, crooked, altered, distorted. In other words, it's anything that takes the truth and bends it. That's what corruption means. And so if the standard for our speech that builds up is truth and love, and it is, we're to speak the truth in love, corrupting talk is anything that takes the truth and waters it down. Or gives the truth without love at all. It's brutal. Uh, one of my favorite writers has uh, written that bad books always lie. They lie most of all about the human condition. And that's what corrupting talk is. Corrupting talk is anything that takes the truth about a subject or about God and perverts it in some way, whether it's about God or about us. I'll just give you the example of sex. Uh, Much of our talk about sex is corrupt, not because it's got all kinds of filthy language attached to it. It's because it's a lie. It's either glamorized in some Disney version that's not true to the realities of human conflict and uh, confusion. Like, it's going to be great. No, no, actually, that's corrupting. Your, your sanitized version of sex is almost as wrong and bad as the perverse pornography. It really is. It, it's not as easy as you think. But, but the version that we often are, are familiar with as a corrupt version is a gross perversion of the goodness of sex that God gave us. Uh, anything that bends the truth and beauty of what God's given us is corrupting. And we do this often with our speech. And it's not just dirty words. It's, it's deviating from the truth of what God's given us. And, and the end result of this is that God's not really happy about it. Uh, the text in verse 30 says, we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it seems like a strange thing to say here in the midst of this text, right? I mean... In one place you're telling me not to talk corruptly, and then you're telling me the Spirit's grieved, and then you're telling me not to let it rip. Well, I think the implication is the way we talk really affects the way the Holy Spirit works in our community. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised, because everywhere in Scripture God tells us He really cares about the way we talk. You uh, go to the Ten Commandments. You can find these in Exodus 20. Uh, If you haven't read them in a long time, it'd be great to go take a look at them. And if you read them, you'll notice... God gives us two things about speech. He cares about the way we speak about Him. One commandment is about the way we speak about Him. He also cares about the way we speak about one another. One whole commandment is about the way we speak about each other. Or or, or two others about one another. And then when Jesus came and began His ministry, His first long sermon, He didn't get very far. So He started talking about our mouths and speech. And over and over again, He comes back to the topic. We'll look at one of them in a moment. And here we have the Holy Spirit saying, actually, the way you talk grieves me. So to sum it up, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity is really concerned about the way we speak. Because the Spirit and the Father and the Son has come to make a community that enjoys His presence and His beauty and communes with Him. 
And when we speak in ways that destroy one another and tear one another down, we're actually working against what he's trying to do. That's why it grieves him. Uh, There is, of course, one other thing that we do that harms the body. And this is the easiest one, and it's the one we do every single day all the time. All of you are guilty. I'm guilty all the time. And I call it letting it go. We often let it go. Verse 15 and 16 tells us that we're going to be people that are speaking the truth in love. And in this way, building up the body. If we speak the truth in love, the body will be built up into Christ. Every part working together. That's normal. That's what we should be doing. And we don't do that. Right? Very often, we're not speaking the truth in love. And it's not malicious. It's not like I'm letting it rip and tearing into people. It's just that I'm too busy. Or too stressed. Or too distracted. Got something else on my mind. I'm sorry I don't have time for you right now. And we just let it go. If you will, you can call it unintentional neglect. But it's real. And its effects are real. Uh, last week I read an article uh, based on some research done by a Maryland, a Maryland, University of Maryland researcher named Nathan Fox. About 15 years ago, Nathan Fox was in Romania. And he was visiting orphanages, and he noticed that uh, many of the, the smallest infants, the youngest children there, were pretty much completely neglected. Uh, due to the size of the orphan orphanage and how many beds they had, how many kids they had, how many workers they had, kids would often go hours, days without attention, without words, without interaction. And uh, as a sociologist, he just sort of wondered, like, what's the long-term effect of this? And so for 13 years, he did research. He kept up with these orphans. And uh, just this past summer, he published his research. And what he found was fascinating and terribly sad. That some 13 years later, these, these kids, these small infants that were neglected at childhood, they actually have smaller brains. Smaller brains than people of, of a comparable age with less quality brain functioning. And behaviorally, a very difficult time connecting with others emotionally. It's fascinating and terrible. And I'm not saying this is that or that is this, but neglect has its consequences. And God's built this community in such a way that we're to be built up and become beautiful like Jesus together by sharing the truth and love together. And when we neglect to do that, the consequences are real. They really are. They're real. So the question is, how do we become the kind of people that speak the truth in love. Instead of doing bodily damage. Or just being too busy and neglecting others. And, and we need a heart change. It's really easy to think, okay, I'm a, I, you're right, I have a speech problem. I, I do say a few things I shouldn't say. And occasionally I talk about that person because I hate them. And I shouldn't, I'm sorry. And yes, I'm really guilty of not speaking the truth in love regularly to people. But... Um, and therefore, you think you have to start with your mouth. I, I, actually, when I became a Christian, I had a filthy mouth. I took pride in the vulgarity, in the creativeness of the vulgarity with which I could speak. I was a smart kid. I thought I was. So it was like an art form for me. And uh, when I became a Christian, I realized I can't do this anymore. But I did not know how to change this. I actually like tried to physically punish myself to make myself... Like, I didn't, like, beat myself with stones or anything, but it's like, I'd cuss and I'd be like, I don't want to lap around the dorm, or something stupid. And uh, it did not work. Um, because I wasn't going nearly deep enough. Uh, there's a pastor, he's out now deceased, actually, but uh, 
he would often challenge people that thought they were very mature in their faith with a simple test, a speech test. That means I should stop that now. I'm not stopping. Um, With a very simple test. What's it supposed to do that? Um, And the test was this. Five things you should not do for a week. For one week, do not gossip. Do not complain about anything. Number three, don't blame shift or make excuses. Number four, don't defend yourself. Number five, don't boast about anything. I I did this test, and my first thought, along with everyone else, was it's going to be really difficult to do this because we can't get away from each other. But if I could get away, this wouldn't be that hard. If I could just get away from everyone, I could do this for a week. Except, part two of the test is even harder. Part two is, do these things. Speak only good about other people. Number two, thank God for His plan for my life. Number three, admit it when I'm wrong and when I sin. Like, admit it to God and to others. Number four, rejoice. Number five, don't boast except in my weaknesses. So, uh, I've tried to do this test, and... uh, yeah, this, this is terrible. Everyone fails this test. Everyone fails. And, and then you get back with the person who gave you the test. And they'll say, how'd you do? And they're like, well, the way it worked is I would eventually uh, complain about something or gossip. And then I would, I would defend myself. And then I would blame shift about why I defended myself. And it would just pile up. And, and then the guy would say, well, there's good news. It's actually worse than you think. And he'd read them this text from Matthew, from Jesus. What comes out of your mouth proceeds from your heart. This defiles a person. And you go on. It, the text goes on. And basically it says, you think you got a speech problem. Actually, it's a heart problem. Actually, it's a you problem. It's not just what you say. It's you. That is who you are. What comes out of your mouth is who you are. It reflects your heart. And, uh, You know, some really practical advice, and Scripture does say this in numerous places. I even think Paul is sort of hinting at this in verse 29. Let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth. One thing you can do that really does help is shut your mouth. Yeah, I'm being a little in your face with that. Uh, But this is really practical advice. You can shut your mouth. Um, You know, there's real wisdom in taking the time to be deliberate about what you say. The wisdom is that you can actually develop a filter. If you're an introvert, you already have a filter. But that doesn't mean it's a good filter. You need to develop a filter that has at least like three different levels or grids that filters out the stuff coming out of your head and out of your heart. Uh, The general idea behind a filter is you shouldn't trust yourself. If you you think you trust yourself right now and you think, my speech is pretty good, do this test over break. Back home with the people that you love. Then let's talk about it when you get back. I will give you these things and then we can talk about it. This would be great. It would be so much fun. Let's do this. Um, And the filter looks like this. One grid, is it true? Second grid, is it loving? Third grid, diagonal, does it help? Does it help? Is it loving? Is it true? Does it help? And what you're going to find is that filter really will help. You will not harm people as much. And actually, I'm saying shut your mouth, not just because I don't want you to hurt people, but also what, what Jesus says in Matthew is, 
the speech that comes out of your mouth reflects your heart and it defiles you. We don't believe this. We think sometimes our actions reflect our character. We don't believe our, our actions actually make our character. And the Bible says both is true. If you just let it rip all the time and say what's in your heart, you will become a more hateful person. If you consistently give vent to the anger and malice in your heart, you will be a malicious, angry person. That's just the way it is. And if you don't develop a filter and just let it fly, you will not really come to see who you are and, and how you're struggling. Yeah, you need to see who you are. And, and the filter helps. It's not enough, though. You actually have to go down into the well, to the heart, and work at the level there. And what I'm going to give you here is the last thing. It's a little counterintuitive. You know, James tells us, if you read James, hey, it's really wise to be really, really, really slow to speak and really quick to listen. And he's right. I'm going to tell you this. You need to stop listening to yourself. And you need to start talking to yourself. All right, this is actually the advice of someone else, much older and wiser than me, who wrote a great book called Spiritual Depression. Um, but he said, we often listen to ourselves. This is what's going on in verse 31. All the anger, all the resentment, all the bitterness. And in your life, it might not be those things. It might be insecurity, fear, shame, guilt, and you listen to it. And you rehearse it and you play it over and over and it becomes the meta-narrative that rules your life. And everything comes out of that. You need to stop listening to that. You have to turn it off. And instead of listening to that, you actually have to talk to yourself. And, and if you're a Christian, what you need to tell yourself is the gospel. And this text tells you everything you need to know, actually. Even though it's in our face about our speech and it's in our face about our hearts, there's good news in this text. You can preach the gospel to yourself in verse 15. We're to grow up in every way into Christ. The assumption there is, you're in Christ already. If you're a Christian, you are in Jesus. And and this is short theological nuance for a vital relationship where Jesus takes all your stuff, like your guilt and shame and punishment, and gives you all his stuff, like his righteousness and peace and love. In other words, it's a really good deal for you. If you're in him by faith, this is a reality. You're in Jesus. And verse 30 tells us that the spirit that's, that's grieved by our speech, this same Holy Spirit, if we're a Christian, it seals us for the day of redemption. That language there of sealing is very important. It's very nuanced. I'm not going to go into it. But it basically means you belong to God forever. If you believe in Jesus and what He's done for you, the Spirit is working in your life in such a way that you are marked out for God And God is determined to make you like Jesus. And lastly, the Father. God the Father, here in verse 32, we're called to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God forgave us. We have a God that forgave us. So, Father, Son, and Spirit. A Father that forgives. A son that takes our guilt and shame and gives us his riches. A spirit who will not leave us though we grieve him. Friends, that is great news. That's good news. You, you tell yourself those things over and over. And it will change you from the inside out. 
Tell yourself that. Stop, stop rehearsing your anger and your resentment and your bitterness and your fear and your shame. And remember what God has done for you and what He's still doing for you and what He promises to do for you. Uh, one of the uh, Romanian orphans uh, was a guy named Isidore Ruckel. Uh, I'm not actually sure he was one of the orphans that uh, this guy from Maryland studied or not, but he was certainly a Romanian orphan. He was abandoned by his children at six, by his children, by his parents at six months of age, and uh, he grew up in an orphanage. He describes basically the, the operating law of the orphanage is uh, there is no law. You do whatever you can, and you hope you're stronger than the other kids. And though he had a deformity, he was actually stronger than many other kids who had more severe disabilities. Um, Isidore Ruckel is pretty sure that the years of neglect he suffered there uh, and uh, deliberate harm from other kids really did rewire his brain and made it really hard for him to attach to people that loved him. He had that opportunity because when he was 11, a Christian couple from San Diego adopted him. And at first, everything went well, but, but within a few months, he really struggled to believe that these new people loved him. He just could not believe it. And uh, their tense relationship got worse and worse and worse until at the age of 17, after six years, he moved out, cut off all communication, and walked away. It's like they did not exist. Until he heard that his parents had been in a car accident. And he was genuinely concerned for them. But he was afraid to go back and reestablish contact because he had done so much to hurt them. He didn't know if they would ever forgive him or not. Uh, but he worked up the courage and went back, and they forgave him. And in his own words, uh, they are very close now. And, uh, and he believes, this is an interesting part of the interview, he sincerely believes that their love for him and his growth has fixed his brain. Now, there's no way to know if that's actually true or not. Uh, but something happened to that man's heart because of their love. And, and that's what we need to know. That's what we need to realize, that... By nature, we have hearts that are built to receive truth and love and to be connected to one another and to God and a wonderful community. But we often hurt one another and neglect one another. We really do. But God's not like that. God's a Father who adopts us into His family, who speaks to us lovingly in the person of Jesus, who promises never to leave us. We take that message into our hearts and believe it, and tell ourselves that over and over, it changes our hearts. It heals us. It enables us to speak words that bless others. Okay? Let's pray together.